1: Welcome, welcome, welcome my friends to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Here we are on Tuesday, which means it's a tactical day, and I'm joined by John. John, what's up, sir?
2: Doing pretty good. Um I guess we should start out with an explanation for like the theme of this episode. Last mm. week we asked we asked viewers for uh for themes for future episodes. One of the one of the good ideas that we got was like a reanalysis of um uh, of like an old episode or like an old strat, see if it see if it's still what we're doing today and what we thought about what we said, you know, like a year or, or even two years ago. Yeah, and um, we got I real, a good realized, for the strat.
1: Yeah, I realized strat. that I don't care. No, I don't, I don't want. I don't want. To, I don't want the the listeners to know anything. No, I <laughs> I didn't realize that actually. What I what I realized was that we I, I spoke. It seems conceptually a great idea. And then when I considered like, how do we pull this off effectively and like show what we thought last time to what we thought this time, like production wise, I realized that my, uh, my eyes, my, my appetite was bigger than my eyes. (laughs) I don't know exactly how to frame it. I didn't know how to do what I wanted to do effectively and well. So we're punting. Um, We have
2: the hands queued up though. So. <laughs> when we are when we are technically capable we'll be we'll be ready to go to do like a reanalysis of the i think the theme that um the theme that we're going with was uh like trapping aces and kings preflop so like facing a 3 bet and, and not four betting and like the reasons to do that and we had some pretty pretty funny hands that that show why that's still a good strat so yeah
1: on, on an unrelated note you know if anybody listening to this is like wow i'm like a sick video editor and i know exactly how to pull that off yeah, send send me a message on in uh, on Slack in greatest village and we we can talk about pulling this off in a in a good way. But yeah, when I actually thought about how to how to like logistically pull it off, I was like, oh, I don't I I can't. I don't know how to do it well. It's going to be terrible if I try to do it by myself." So we're we're going to push it back maybe a few weeks, maybe a month. I'm not exactly sure when We'll do it, but we are gonna do it. So now today's theme. Yeah. The so this new week theme. we just
2: have a uh just the normal or somewhat normal bluff catching um episode. Although this first hand is is weird. Um it's definitely not a normal bluff catch spot. The second one I think is, is a much more commonly occurring situation, but uh yeah, we'll start it out with this first hand.
1: Yeah. I Ace yeah,
2: Ten of Hearts in the Small
1: Blind. Asking for feedback and then Totally ignoring the feedback. It's great. It's a great way to to do things here on Tactical Tuesday. So, bluff catching, you have an ace and a 10 of the same suit. Playing four handed.
2: Reg opening in the cutoff. Mm -hmm. I'm -hmm. in the small blind and I flat. Mm -hmm. So, we're already kind of getting into like weird territory. This would certainly be a completely normal three bet facing and open from any position um my reason for flatting is that we have a whale in the big blind um and you know kind of the goal of almost every hand when when I'm in this situation is to try to play as many pots as possible with the whale um and if that means flatting a hand as strong as ace 10 um converting some of my you know stronger three bets into flats um I think that's you know,
1: that's one of the ways to do it Yeah. Also converting some of your stronger folds into flats as well is another way to do it. Mm, Some hands like a, you know, king seven suited or something along those lines that you're probably typically folding. You can probably call in in this exact situation. Mm. So you flat the ace 10, the whale, despite all of your best efforts, decides, nah, I I don't want to play. So they fold and now you're out of position, heads up uh, versus a rag. And... so kind of the context for the situation is that like <clears throat> I know the cutoff is a reg um
2: I'm fairly certain that the cutoff knows that I'm a reg um I don't think the cutoff would be shocked by seeing me flat the small blind when we both know you know the player profile of the of the big blind um sure so while we are kind of in like a like a weird situation right now where we're we're, we're flatting a cutoff open from the small blind I f- would expect both or I would expect the cutoff to kind of understand why and like kind of what's going on pre-flop I sure and like, understand like, oh, the the
1: effects push. on like your range here mm-hmm. like how, how your range is constructed and and all of those sort of things like yeah right. make make sense to me um flop is a six three with one heart so really great flop for a 10 of hearts you flop top mm-hmm. pair with 10 kicker and backdoor nut flush draw um you check villain bets a third. Um, Nothing really to talk about here. Just,
2: I mean, this is like the range size. Just, I guess the one thing that I would like have a question about here is like, do you think that the cutoff is range betting? Um, versus my like, you know, given what he knows about why I'm flatting the small blind and what he thinks about my small blind range. Like, this is certainly the range bet size. I think the easiest assumption to make upon seeing the c bet is just like, yeah, he's just c betting range.
1: Um, but do you think that that's? I I don't know about range. I, I, I imagine they have a checking range too, but like. Yeah, I think like it's a high frequency small C bet strat that they're deploying yeah. would be okay. my, yeah, my guess. Not,
2: not much to talk about here. Can't fold. Can't
1: do anything else. Can't but fold. Can't raise. Fold. So you got mm-hmm. you have one option. And the turn is a ten of diamonds. So now, if you face a turn bet, you're probably going to have some options. Mm-hmm. Uh, you turn top two pair. Board is a six three, then turns ten. There's two spades on the board. You check. Villain over bets, which is actually pretty expected, I think, for Villain's sizing choice. I think it's just, yeah, uh, not surprising at all to see the overbet here.
2: Uh, yeah, not surprised either. I think this is like the one of the most common lines on ace high and double Broadway type boards from the PFR uh, facing a big blind defense, for example, is just small bet to flop, overbet turn. Um, so yeah, not shocked to see Not shocked to see this here. Uh, I guess my one question would be, do we have options versus the size?
1: Don't think so. Okay. I think like, you know, the size they're, they're polarizing and going to have a lot of like offsuit and suited broadways that like their gutters that choose the size. Um, I think that splitting and having a raising range here is tough. uh, And really, Just trying to capture as much value as we can versus their king queens king jacks queen jacks all of those category of hands so just to be clear you would have no raising range here i don't think so i mean maybe but i don't think it would be like the suspected hands like i'm not i'm not sure what my raising range would look like like probably Let's
2: just talk about the value Uh, side because I think that's what most people would be wondering, right? Like, let's say we just, you know, well, the the, the obvious, right? Yeah,
1: like sixes and threes would be like the the clearest value hands that you could raise. Would you raise those hands? I I don't think I would. I don't think I would, but yeah, like the the kind of bluffs that I would raise would probably be something like seven eight of hearts or eight nine of hearts or seven nine of hearts. If I have those category of hands, some kind of like gut shot. Uh, maybe like queen jack of hearts or king queen of hearts or king jack, king jack of hearts maybe might fall into the the check raise category it would be like my sets if i did have a raising range and then some like quite low equity hands like gut shots that you know i don't really care about villain jamming um, maybe some hands with blocker properties might make better candidates than the gut shots i'm not exactly sure because i hadn't thought super deeply about constructing a raising range here simply because, uh, I think range flatting is just makes a lot of sense. And is probably, you know, my preferred path, just, it simplifies everything. It's like with top two pair also, like top two pair is like a very easy hand to just flat. You, you don't really consider raising cause you just block, um, you know, villains like ace king type hands.
2: Okay. So Range flooding here. That's generally my strategy too. That's what I go ahead and do. No raise with the turn, sure. top two. River's the jack of clubs. There's three seventy in the pot, um, mm. about eight hundred effective. Uh, gonna be checking here, pure again. I kind of hate this river, but yeah. <clears throat> and then we face this, which you know we would have felt great about on a lot of rivers, but for some reason the jack of clubs. It just uh,
1: gives the gut shots a pair. Yeah, like, and that's so a hand like Queen Jack and King Jack. You're saying now probably don't bluff jam the river. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they overbet the turn, so like I think that like King Jack and Queen Jack may be some of the better hands to jam the river with, considering they block Ace Jack, right? Like you, you they probably want to block the two pair combos in our range with a Jack. So yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But like you have Ace Ten here, and it, it you know the hand's basically just playing itself at this point on the river.
2: Yeah. I, I think the river is kind of a, uh, like a moot point. I think like the, the, I would say like the crux of this, ep- this section of the episode was really like kind of on the turn and like understanding what, like, you know, it's really tempting to check raise turn top two in that spot when you face over it. But, um, it's, it's really, really important not to. And well, like, we'll see yeah, you're, you're going. targeting <laughs> like
1: ace king when you check raise. Right. And like, yeah, yeah. They may have it sometimes but the reality is like mostly they don't and so you know when you check raise and get action a lot of times like you're just going to run smack dab into like sixes and threes and then you'll be like oh what a cooler but like no you just didn't give the king jacks a chance to put all the money in on the turn the river that's why that's why you naturally funneled in the sets Uh so
2: so yeah not much else to do on the river but call yep and you win a lot of outs on the river. Villain had nine, eight of spades. So flop flush draw, turn gut shot.
1: Yeah, I think you both played the hand. Yeah, quite well. There's, you know, nothing to say about either player. This, if the situation was flip flopped, Um I assume it would have been played a lot differently because they would have three bet pre. But that's neither. <laughs> <laughs> they probably would have three bet pre. But that's neither here nor there. Um Just a hand scenario board that basically just kind of played itself and you just have to click call in the river with they send, you have no option. You can't possibly ever fold here. It's just too valuable of a hand to fold. It has too much equity against villains, villains bluffs and, you know, also blocks their value. So yeah, nice hand. Let's uh, wrap it up. We'll move to the break. Hand number two coming right at you.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. The Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training. Over 60 optimal ranges and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com/slash bootcamp. Available now.
3: Before Bootcamp I had been playing for maybe 15 years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you
1: jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like?
3: Well, first off, I realized that I had been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations, you know, it was, it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot.
1: What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp?
3: It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always Being behind the eight ball and and playing catch-up, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, really work together, even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome.
1: What's your sample size of winning post boot camp?
3: I think I have seventy thousand hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a a professional player by any means. That's my sample size.
1: Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right, here we are after the break, diving into hand number two in this episode that could probably be titled, you know, Coach Brad's Betrayal of the Tactical Tuesday sure. Listener. Um, John, you want to set us up, set up the action here?
2: Yep. So this is going to be a much more classic bluff catching situation. I'm sure pretty much every listener has been in this spot before. We're on the button with pocket tens, uh, open to $30, the big blind, three bets to 120. I call. Flop is 556 five, Rainbow. Um, we're about 110, 112 big blinds effective on the flop. There's 245 in the middle. Um, not exactly sure what like c strategy I expect to see from villain here. I think I could, I could see one third happening quite frequently. I could see like half pot or you know even slightly bigger than half pot happening. So,
1: sure, half pot. Half pot? Okay. Half pot. I I think the the bigger size on this, you know, paired small board makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Villains probably bet a little less frequency here. And so going to size up a little bit when they do bet. But nothing super surprising here. Not really a decision on the flop with tens. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess a listener in the audience could... Um, ask about potentially raising here in position with your mm. overpair. So I guess we can yeah. adre- address that possibility. Yeah, that's a
2: good question. Um, kind of funnily, like the first time I ever came to Poker Power Hour, which is um, Greatness Village's free uh, hour of um, hand history review that happens on every Wednesday.
1: It's not free I, these days. It's for the the course buyers oh, these days. So
2: Sorry, you know. it used to be free.
1: It, it uh, used to be free, <laughs> you know, but things, life changes.
2: <laughs> Um, anyways, the first time I ever came to PPH years ago, it was this exact spot. I'm pretty sure I had jacks or tens and I raised here and I, I was like, is this good? Like, I'm not sure if that's good. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a really good question. It's super tempting to raise tens here, right? It's like a hand that like could definitely benefit from a little bit of protection from like overcards. Like it's, it's tough to know what to do when the turn is like an ace, king, queen, or jack Mm -hmm. and you face another bet. Um, I think that though, Similar to the previous hand where we recommended just flatting with ace 10 after turning top two. Um it's like really important to have the discipline in the spot to not raise these somewhat vulnerable overpairs. Like the real EV of the spot comes from bluff catching versus, you know, uh your opponent's barrels. It doesn't really come from I don't know what raising tens here accomplishes other than like coolering, you know, pocket nines maybe that that maybe stacks off. Um, but really you're just you're gonna be isolating yourself versus like an extremely strong range that includes a lot of hands that are doing better than than tens on this board. so yeah,
1: and the reality is like duh, you're probably not raising often on this board like you know if you have trip fives or a boat, you're probably not raising the seabed either. So you know you don't have a lot of like repability here when you raise on the on the flop. Um, so, yeah, just got to do the uncomfortable thing, call, and then, you know, hope for the best. As, no overcards,
2: no overcards. As we say
1: on a Tactical Tuesday, just call and then make a decision with all the information that you have on the turn, which Ooh, no overcards. Is, is a really good turn for you. The turn is Line a five. Yep. Yeah, so five, 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 six is the board. Uh, I think this, again, yeah, it's just like, outside of a 10, it's kind of the dream turn card. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what do you expect from Villain here? Do you expect a frequent bet? Uh, do you expect range check? Like,
1: how do you expect Villain to play the 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 trip fives on the turn? I mean, I would expect the money to be going in like mm-hmm. clockwork. I mean, that that's that would be my expectation that like, oh, there's trips on the board, I've got all the overpairs, the button doesn't have a lot of the overpairs. And so I selectively chose the hands that I was going to see bet on the flop. Um, So I didn't do with range. I tend to have, you know, the stronger portion of my range there. So just like blasting away would be my expectation, Mm -hmm. you know, just some kind of bet on the turn that sets up a river jam. And I would expect it to happen like, I mean, I would expect it to happen like every time personally. Yep,
2: yep. So basically what you're saying is that you think the big blinds kind of see betting strategy for the rest of this hand is like they narrow down the hands that they choose to c-bet on the flop. That's why they pick the big size. And then every hand that they c-bet
1: the pl- flop with probably barrels the turn and jams the river. Yeah, that's why I think the turn is so great because like the turn is like, oh, this just gives their bluffs like a perfect little runway to put all the money in you know their bluffs have Mm -hmm. zero incentive to slow down now on this turn card so Mm -hmm. and as we said you know the major value of your tens here comes from villains like king queen of hearts their backdoor uh suited broadway hands and so like you just since you're going to get value or all those hands have incentive to just keep bombing you know you just click keep clicking call and it's just likely going to make money
2: Nice. Yep. So that's actually exactly what happens on the turn. He goes about half pot again, um, sets up for stacks pretty comfortably on the river. Mm-hmm. I call uh, again, not too much to do. <clears throat> river <Wow>. is another <laughs> deuce of spades <laughs> on the river. So, the probably one of the most merciful runouts you could ask mm-hmm. for with Pocket 10 6555 five, five, deuce.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And there's 971 in the middle. The big blind rips for his final. 70 59
1: 50. I mean, we haven't come this far to fold. Yeah. You know,
2: I guess, I guess, um, you know, I think if I was like a listener, like one of the questions that I would have is like, when you're in this spot, do you ever decide, like, do you ever make the decision of like which over pairs to call with or which bluff catchers to continue? Are there any hands that you call the turn that you fold the river with basically? Like, would you ever fold sevens on the turn or on the river? No. Is sevens any different from like tens or is tens any different from, you know,
1: I guess tens is probably the best I, we I, have I wouldn't. Like personally, I wouldn't just because I think, as I said, like the incentives align such that like villains should, v- villains going to be betting the turn and jamming the river at a very high frequency with their lower equity hands. And I don't think that they're going to balance that enough to where, you know, I I have to fold sevens, right? Like they would have to do a really good job of managing, you know, their bluff combos with their value combos in order for me to start folding like sevens. And I just don't think that they're going to do a good enough job. And so I just click call. Like, I I think that there's, you know, probably, um, there's high potential here that, you know, maybe they bet 50% on the flop at a much higher frequency than they should, which just gives them more natural bluff combos on the turn in the river to jam with. So, like, because of that, really just it's an easy reality to imagine. Um, I'm there's no chance that like my overpairs here, I'm folding really on on any run out, right? Like, I, I do have folds on the turn, and those are probably going, you know, those are the backdoor type hands, maybe the gut shots on the flop that um, I called with, but. Yeah, I'm not folding. I'm not folding sevens, eights, nines, or tens. Um, and this is like under the assumption that I have like no information on my opponent uh, playing on a site like Ignition, where just like, yeah, it's easy to imagine a world where they just bet half pot at a higher frequency than they probably should, and then they just have like a bunch of king queen offs that they feel compelled to just put the money in and like folding sevens here when they have a bunch of those hands in full would just be like a catastrophic mistake and i'm way too afraid of making a catastrophic mistake by folding a hand like sevens than i am by calling too often all
2: Right. so just to kind of <clears throat> rephrase what it sounds like you're saying um you know kind of like the long and short of it is that you think that villains in this player pool are likely over bluffing when they take this line when you think that they're over bluffing you just convert all of your bluff catchers into into pure calls yeah exactly what about uh? Okay, here's here's for my my own curiosity. You think you'd call the turn with a hand like Ace Queen and call the river?
1: Yeah. So I think Ace Queen's a better hand than Tins here. Yeah. Um, I think Ace Queen is just a better all around hand than Tins because Ace Queen blocks Aces and Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, it blocks their value, and they're probably not doing it with Ace King. So, like, I think Ace King is a much or Ace Queen is a a better bluff catcher than Tins here. Like, I think. It's just, and plus, ace queen like in the times that villains do have like kings, jacks, or tens, um, ace queen can improve more often than tens on the turn. So I think like ace queen just has more equity all around than tens does. And so, yeah, I would be totally fine just calling down with ace queen high here.
2: Yeah, I think like a part of that is that like tens doesn't really have very much value domination. Like you know the the hands that we beat. Are like maybe pocket nines. That's that's honestly just going a little bit crazy. If pocket nines take, takes this, nines line has anyway. like
1: so, such little incentive to to take this path because nines is like blocking right. the straight draws and so yeah. yeah. So like when you don't
2: beat any value,
1: even with a hand like pocket tens, like you can kind of
2: easily see how like ace queen is is still worth a lot, right? When sure. when, when there's like no value domination anyways. Like yeah, in in some sense, like having the blockers is is might even be worth more than, than,
1: uh, sure. And having a pair. So yeah, cool stuff. I assume you called the river. So yeah, we call the river. in a recap board is five, 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 six deuce. I mean, if you folded the river, then I don't even know, <laughs> I guess you just get thrown out of tactical Tuesday forever. Like you, you get the picture perfect run out. Um, yeah. And villain has the jack spades, which is a hand that didn't, didn't have a backdoor at all on the flop. um, Kind of leads me to believe that maybe my intuition was pretty close that they're overdoing this bet-bet jam with too many hands. Um, so yeah, well played. Nice hand. You won both pots this week on Tactical Tuesday. I think you've won both pots the last couple of weeks. You're on on a feeling, feeling good. You're on a streak. You're bringing, two, bringing two, the hands. Just yeah. need like two giant... King Queen off blunders to (laughs) kind of nullify these past couple of weeks.
2: Two weeks without incident.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The job report, two weeks. Uh, (laughs) Maybe next week we can scratch it out. Zero. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of Tactical Tuesday. Enjoyed it. Like and subscribe on all the podcast platforms. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe there too. And that's all I've got for you this week.
2: See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.